Hi, I'm Jason Nichols, and I'm on the left. And I'm Vince Colonnese, and I'm on the right. And, and if, if we, we can't, can't find, find common, common ground, ground in this world, world today, today, then we're all just travelers. Passing each other in an international airport. And this great American experiment will be relegated to the trash bin of history. So let's come together to debate without yelling. And, and let's, let's save, save this, this nation. nation. Experienced reporter and host of Rob Schmidt Tonight on Newsmax. Rob Schmidt next on Vincent Jason Save the Nation. Vincent Jason Save the Nation is brought to you by Gold Co. It's a busy news week. We've got a busy newsman with us. Who's uh, joining us today here, Jason Nichols? Hey, we've got my good friend, Rob Schmidt, a guy who I've known for a long time. Uh, you know, I'm, I've seen the guy come up from 4 a.m. in the morning to actually having a <laughs> primetime show, you know, uh, and he's actually a smart guy. He's not just a Ken doll there. Uh, you know, I hated on the guy for a long time. I was like, God, let if me you tell say you something. So. <laughs> Let me tell you uh, a quick Rob Schmidt story. Actually, I have a couple of Rob Schmidt stories, but my first Rob Schmidt story was the last time I was on his show. Uh, we're talking about, uh, I think, abortion rights or something like that. And in the middle, right. literally, you know, I wasn't feeling well that day, but I was like, you know, I'm home. It's not a big deal. I don't have to go anywhere. All of a sudden, I just start sweating. And then, bam, I test the next day, COVID. <laughs> like, uh, like I was and my mind was going everywhere I was like why am I sweating in the middle of this hit you know what I mean that's After how tough while, of a question a rob is you were sweating it was yeah, under oh, yeah. interrogation it absolutely <laughs> yeah so Rob um obviously today is uh a day where the nation is grieving and we're talking a lot about uh, a lot of issues and what could have prevented what happened in Uvalde Texas uh I wanted to kind of get your your kind of first reaction and what your thoughts are on what happened there. You know, I you, you look at this and it does keep happening. And the, the middle ground on this subject, where I, where I think most Americans, where you get the widest swath of Americans, uh, is that it's clearly a problem. When Democrats say other nations don't face problems like this, they're right. Uh, the, the, the issue is, is how do you resolve it and what exactly is the problem? And it's not every single time, but it's the vast majority of times you have exactly what we have here. You have a very strange, maybe bullied, but a loner kid that just couldn't figure it out, that fell through whatever cracks of society, that just felt like he was isolated. He was all alone. He hated his life. He was angry. He was probably mistreated to some extent by people in his life, perhaps by his family, I don't know at this point, but certainly by his peers. Um, you have somebody that two days ago, most of us would have felt compassion for and would have felt sorry for. If I would have met a kid like that, who is always isolated, that feels like he has nobody, who's just weird, I generally, towards that person, go out of my way to be nicer. You know, I think there's a lot of bad people in the country that, that see that person and just pick on them. I think most of us have a compassion for that person. And then they do something like this, that's just horrific. And now the whole world hates it. Uh, and everybody is disgusted by him. We have to figure out what the problem is with these people. We have to figure out what went wrong, and we have to figure out how to identify these people before they can do something like this. Everybody's screaming about gun control right now, uh, and that's exactly what you're going to get, and that's why situations like this are so politically useful for the left, and I do think they take full advantage of that. The problem with you know screaming gun control is that, in reality, what they want to do is disarm the entire country, take every gun away. They don't want common-sense gun regulation. They just want to take all the guns. Because that's the only way it would work. Look at look at big blue cities where you have 
very, very strict gun control laws and you have gun violence ad nauseum. I mean, it's just, it's everywhere. There's gun violence. I live in New York City. You cannot get a gun here if you try. Try to get a gun in New York City. It's impossible. But we have gun violence all the time. There are guns everywhere. So it's a nuanced solution to this. And obviously there needs to be, it bothers me that this kid was able to just legally walk in and buy these guns, which is what I'm hearing is reported, is what happened. That bothers me. That troubles me. I do think you need to find a solution to that. I think we need to have, you know, I, I think people need to, it's, 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 it's so bizarre to me that you always hear people say after these shootings that it just seems like, oh yeah, that kind of makes sense because he was that kind of guy. I don't know how we as a society learn to figure that out, but it's like, you know, I mean, everybody in their life, you know, has somebody, you know, you know, maybe not everybody, but a lot of people have somebody in their life where you just kind of like, there's something not right with him. And it's, you know, and a lot of times it's just not till it's too late um, and something like this happens. You know, it strikes me that, you know, you're right. The gun conversation is the one that people go to instantly because there are partisan right. interests involved. But there's a cultural rot underneath so much of the rise that we're seeing, especially in the violent crime across yes. the country. So, yes, we're seeing a rise in school shootings. We're watching as last year, even in a condensed school year, uh, you had more school shootings that reached some of those record levels, including this year. It's already on record pace. Uh, but that goes in line with the fact that we're seeing rises in homicide and all, all sorts of violent crimes yes. in cities across the country. And I can't help but think that this is connected to ultimately in some way the COVID lockdowns, that that sort of the, the, yeah. the whatever cultural rot we had in the first place accelerated dramatically when people were sent to their homes to live basically in solitary confinement and then to be raised yeah. in the case of our children by the internet and their smartphones. Something very desperate and disconnected has happened. And I think we're seeing some of the consequences of it. Can we draw a straight line directly to the 18 year old who shot up the Uvalde high school, elementary school yesterday? No, not yet, yeah. certainly. But you look at even the Buffalo shooter in that manifesto that he put together, he claimed that all that time that he spent away from school being radicalized on the internet made him the person he became today. It feels like if we want to have an adult conversation, maybe we should look at the cultural fabric that's being destroyed. Right, Vince, you make, you make so many good points in that statement, and that's exactly right. We, we, and the cultural rot that you're talking about has been happening for years. It was happening before COVID. COVID exacerbated the hell out of it because we all just turned into screen staring little, you know, hermits that live inside their apartments or their homes, uh, our, you know, our, our, our social ability, our ability to have social lives and to go out. I mean, I, I personally, you know, I, I felt like for up until maybe a few months ago, I could feel how much, you know, I was way more depressed, way less happy than I was pre 2020. You know, I just, I felt like my whole life just went, yeah, it was just, you know, you could just feel it. Like I just, I felt like nothing was right. The city that I live in was just terrible. Everything was closing down. Um, people were not, you know, everybody left. I was living in this kind of shell of a city. I, you know, all, all of my friends were gone. They were somewhere else. It was just, everything just was terrible. And I think that was happening to every single person in the country with the exception of some people who maybe moved to Miami and found, you know, COVID to be the greatest thing that ever happened to them. You know, right. the, the Florida types that are just happier than, you know, happy as hell to, to be somewhere else and to be somewhere where it was just warm and nice. A lot of New Yorkers went there and, and, and they brag about it. But um, I think that cultural rot, the screens, the fact that we all live on computers and, and phones and text messages, we live in this alternate world where you almost have like an avatar online that you live through. Uh, your real your real person is is not nearly as important as it was. I think all of that contributes to it. And then you throw all these kids on remote learning where they're sitting in their bedroom on a computer uh, and it's it's terrible. And I think, I think we have a mental health crisis in this country. And I don't, and I don't think that's, there's nothing wrong with saying that because I think you see it everywhere. I think you see a ton of depression. We're seeing a ton of anxiety. 
you know, we're, we're animals at the end of the day. We've been evolving for, you know, millions of years. We're yeah. not meant to just sit and stare at screens. You know, we're supposed to go out and we're supposed to go out and struggle a little bit. We're supposed to go out and survive. We're supposed to be out in nature. We're supposed to be doing all these things that we're not doing. And I think that that is breaking something inside of us. You know, I just a personal thing. I know it's a podcast, so I can just BS with you guys for a long time. But I found this, this cold therapy that I've been doing that, you know, you, you see it on the internet. You see these guys jumping into the ice plunges and stuff like that. And, yeah. and the, the mentality of that, the, the, the logic there, I, I, I completely bought into after I tried it a couple times. So like, we're not meant to be this coddle. We're not supposed to just sit on desks or in chairs at desks and just type and be live and have food delivered to our door and sit and stare at TVs. We're supposed to go out into the world and we're supposed to do things that are tough and challenging. We're supposed to go through things that are really hard and scary. You know, I, I just the other day, I jumped into the ocean. It was 50 degrees in the ocean. It was 60 degrees outside. I mean, it was, it shocks your whole core. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, you hyperventilate. I mean, for the first minute, you can't even breathe. But when you get out of there, you feel this wash over you. And it's just, it's just all of this good feeling endorphins and it changes the whole rest of your day. You know, I think that's a big part of what's wrong with us is that we're not experiencing anything like that. We're, we're, we're getting up and push the coffee button, yeah. coffee, sit at my desk, type, phone, TV, go back to bed. It's that a malaise. Yeah. That's not the way Jason, we're supposed to live. Yeah. Can, I, can, I ask a, you, can I ask a question of you, Jason Nichols? Absolutely. Because you, sure. you, uh, you teach the star of the show. You teach undergraduates, correct? <laughs> uh, yes, I do. Okay, so so you have some exposure to the young people in the classroom. I, I you know, I talk to um, teachers at the younger level, like the high school level, and they say that the lockdowns changed the students kind of dramatically. That when they came back, their behaviors were different, their their work habits were different because the boundaries were gone. They're it's it's not it's not the same. Things have changed. Did you notice anything that changed in the undergraduate level in terms of the types of students you were teaching before the lockdowns and what they were like afterwards? So um, that's a complicated question. Um, obviously, I don't deal with behavior the way that a lot of you know high school and middle school teachers would would deal with. Um, you know, I, I feel like even though they're eighteen, I, I you know eighteen, nineteen, twenty, sometimes thirty. Um, I deal with adults. So it's a little bit different. Sure. Um, I think one of the things that has been, you know, a barrier, and honestly, it's it's made me really think about my career and my career trajectory. I remember actually having a meeting and, you know, I'll just say it. I had a meeting with, um, not with Suzanne, who was Amy, Amy over there at Fox. And we had a meeting and she was like, would you ever leave the classroom? um and just do media and I was like no you know what I mean I was like I, I love what I do I love teaching I'm not I'm never letting this go but when I see I come into a classroom and I see a bunch of students with masks on you know what I mean and we're not able to build the relationships that was so much a part of my job that I absolutely adored was having these relationships with students and being able to mentor them and write recommendations and call people on their behalf and yeah. try to get them further in their careers and in their lives and to have them come back to me when they're, you know, 25, 30 and telling me, you know, how I affected them and how I helped them out. You know, uh, you know, one kid who's like, yo, I was, you know, working at the grocery store, but you wrote a recommendation for me and I couldn't find anyone else to do that. And now I'm graduating from law school, like that kind of stuff. Those kinds of relationships post COVID yeah. aren't there anymore. You know what I mean? I don't know the students. I don't know them. I know a bunch of masks in front of my face. And I think one of the ways that it changed their behaviors 
And now you're going to get me into complaining, you know, but one of the things that changed is like just showing up. And I tell my students every semester, 90% of life is just showing up. So show up to class and that's going to help you in the long run. And there are some students who still refuse to show up. They think it's like the University of Phoenix. You know what I mean? And it's like, no, you go to the University of Maryland. You don't go to the University of Phoenix. And I will say this, though. Uh, Rob also outed himself real quick about um, not not like that, but outed himself uh, <laughs> about uh, William. Is it William Hoff? The guy? You, Wim you, Hoff, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've been looking at the internet too, because I watch his videos too. And you know, yep. I, I I just got out of a cold shower before we got on. You know, I'm not yep. I'm not diving into Chesapeake Bay or something like that where it's like 40 <laughs> degrees. So I'll leave that to you for well, let, me, let me tell you, Jason. Let, let, let me let me chime in real quick. I'll tell you one thing that the cold shower is harder than getting into the plunge. Really? The cold shower to me is, is torture. Yeah, when you've got the little water just dumping all over you in different ways, hitting different parts of your body, if you just submerge, um, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, a lot of the gyms now are putting in these cold plunges. They're about 50 to 55 degrees. It's got to be south of 55 to have an impact. But, you know, I, I started seeing my friends. One of my buddies is a, is a news anchor in Philly, and he started doing it. He bought the chest that he puts outside on his deck, and it keeps the water cold, and he gets in it every day for about five to ten minutes, and he's like, it changed my life. It's like, it, it just... I, there's something about that punch. I mean, when you just when you just get knocked by something every day that you have to get through, you know, it's like it just it gives you something. The same way you feel when you get out of that cold shower. I mean, it works yeah. in many different ways. But Wait, so does I mean, it, does it just does it like afford you yeah. like perspective or something? I mean, is it basically like remind you of your humanity? What is it that that you think you derive from it? I think it just. I think when you. I don't know how it works to be honest with you. All I know is that you get in. And it's, you learn how to control and manage your breathing. I do think yeah. that, you know, I think something as simple as taking 10 deep breaths a day as somebody that's managed anxiety his whole life, 10 deep breaths a day uh, can be tremendously helpful. Um, and I, when you do that, you do about 100 deep breaths in about 45 seconds. And then, and then you numb, right? You get in and it's, it's, it's torture for 45 seconds to a minute and then you numb out. And then you're getting all sorts of circulatory benefits. You're getting in, inflammation benefits, muscles, stuff like that. And you're getting mental benefits as well. It's, yeah. It does tremendous work for the brain. And mm-hmm. I'm telling you, you get out of there when you do it, on the days you do it, it's just like going to the gym and having a, a great workout or anything else that you do. It just, you just, you're just, you're swimming after that. You're just in a better place. It helps, it works. Yeah, I think it's, for me, it was also like, I hate cold water. So it was like yeah. facing my first fear. You know what I mean? Exactly. So for me, I would like, I get up in the morning, you know, I do burpees. I usually do about somewhere 100, 150 burpees. And then wow. I get into the cold water. And, yeah. you know, for a while, like, I, I, I'm not, I'm not even going to front. Like, I would stare at the cold water for a while, yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. before I got in, because I was like, this is going to be uncomfortable. But it's also it's just like, I faced my first challenge of yep. the day i first yep. i brutalized my body number one and then because those burpees never get easy and then i got into that cold shower and i know i hate cold water and also you know i watch all those navy seal training things where those guys swim in like 50 degree water yeah. you know um so We're some of it to is go through this so absolutely where i think it is i think you're absolutely correct that not only are there health benefits um, which, you know, some of them are debatable because I've seen some, you know, researchers who say there's really no benefit to it. I guess it depends, but certainly 
Um, it teaches you how to breathe a little bit, you know, because your first yeah. thing when you get into like cold water is, <gasps> you know, you that's your first yeah. reaction. But once yeah. you start realizing, you know, you start relaxing a little bit and you learn how to breathe in cold water, it actually helps you to breathe deeply, you know, in yeah. general. And then you start and you'll start. And I'm sure you notice this, Jason, you start to seek it out. Like, I mean, you, you, yeah. you dreaded it for the longest time. Now I look forward to it because I because yeah. I'm thinking how good I'm going to feel five minutes from now. You know, I mean, I, yeah. when I saw the ocean, I was like, I got to get in that thing. And I was like, how cold I strike the surf step on my phone. I was like 52. I was like, I'm getting in right now. You know, you just, wow. you just do it. And you just know at the end of that, the whole rest of your day is going to be better. So it's a no, it's a no brainer. It's like five minutes of hell for a better day. I'm, I'll do that. And it's, it's no question. It's wild. Yeah. I, where, heard, where did yeah. you, where, where'd you get in? You're not swimming in like the East river. Like you're, you know, <laughs> like you're, like you're no, I, was out, I was out on, out on long Island, out on long Island, oh, okay. just jumping in the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Good. That's wild. I That's heard a, in the I heard Joe Rogan tell a story once. He said that uh, you know, the, there's a huge difference between the Gatorade you just buy off the shelf and the Gatorade you drink after you're done the hike up the mountain. You know, it's like it's like yeah. when you when you when you finally get to the summit, you earn the Gatorade. Yeah. Like it's and it's a very different experience, completely different. Uh, and yeah. so I, it's like, it's definitely, you know, that's the jumping from the pool into the hot tub and back again. It's that kind of range of feeling. It, it makes you, it does make you feel alive. Yeah, I totally agree. Absolutely. Totally. All right. So, well, this is getting, this is, this is getting useful already. I'm going to have to try <laughs> yeah. one of these uh, cold baths. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's, it's really, you know, it, it, it also, I will tell you taking a cold shower or a cold bath in the summer is very different than taking one in the winter. <laughs> like, you know, it, cold is, you know, cold means different things. And I remember seeing this one guy yeah. who lived in Florida. He was like, and then he moved to Montana. And he's like, a cold shower are two different things in Florida versus oh. in, in Montana. So just keep that in mind. You may be like, oh, I take yeah, cold your, your tap water. Your <laughs> tap water is about 60 in the summer, and it's going to be about 50 or 48 in the winter. That's a big 10 degrees. It's a big 10 right. degrees. Yeah, that's right. Right. That's wild. Rob, tell us about Newsmax. What's it like getting uh, all these uh, former Fox people back together on, on the same network? Uh, we saw this week that uh, Greta Van Susteren's joined the ranks yep. there alongside you guys. Yep. Greta's, uh, Greta's in. She was, I think her last, well, she's said something called Great TV right now, which I think just owns a bunch of local affiliates. Before that, I think she was MS for a year and then before that at Fox. So yeah. she's been all around the block, kind of like me. I've worked for ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox. I've been all over the place too. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, place that's growing like I've, like nothing i've ever seen we were just out last night having drinks after the show we had the big four-hour election stuff last night um and we were just talking about how much it's grown i mean if you look back two three years ago i mean we had about one tenth as many employees as we do now i mean that's yeah. how rapidly we've grown uh greta's coming in she's going to be doing the six o'clock show we're um getting ready to re-rack a lot of our uh our evening early evening and prime time shows which we're going to be making announcements here coming up really very very shortly but obviously uh, Spicer shows changing. Greta's going at six o'clock. That's that's publicly known now. So um, it's good. You know, we got we got bowling came in. He was a great kid. Greg Kelly was uh, one of our first uh, one of our first big shows that we had at uh, seven o'clock. Um, so it's just it's a good environment. I mean, it's it's crazy to be with something and watch it grow. When I was at Fox, I came into this just massive corporation where it just felt right. like you could get lost in it. I mean, you walk down the hall and you're tripping over producers. There's a million people that work there um, yeah. to go to Newsmax and to see. I mean, the first show I did. I remember my first day at Newsmax. This is how crazy it is. Um, I came in, I did all the BSHR stuff. And then they come in my office like, hey, can you do Greg Kelly tomorrow night? Greg Kelly is the biggest show we have. 
And I'm just, I'm thinking to myself, like, can you imagine going to work at Fox News on day one and be like, hey, can you do Tucker tomorrow night? <laughs> I mean, it, would, it would just never happen in a million years. And I look at that, I'm like, you want me to do your biggest show on the second day? I was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's roll. So it was a place where you just come in and you, you, you get this chance. And then I think after the, you know, everything had happened in 2020 election, Fox called Arizona early. And then we just got our name, just put our names on the map. And from there, it just, it just grew and grew. And then, you know, it's, it's, we've, we've come down from the highs that we had, you know, right in those few months after when everybody was really mad at Fox, we, we blew up, but we've, we've stabilized from there. But now I think we're on track to start growing again and we're making the right moves and adjustments and stuff, but watching something grow like that and having access to your CEO, having access to your management, um, it just, it kind of feels like a, a family and it's going to grow out of that. And it kind of already in a way is as we get, you know, we got like 300 people working in our New York office now. So it's, it's pretty big now. Um, yeah. or maybe 200, but it's, you know, it's, it's just, a, it's a very, it's a very fun experience to, to watch, to watch us kind of figure it out. Cause you know, I mean, we're, we're, we're trying to figure it out like everybody else, you know I mean? It's, yeah. a, it's a new yeah. network. We're trying to get it. I mean, when I started my show a year and a half ago, the show before me was a rerun of Sean Spice. We didn't even have a live show at 9 right. PM. I'm at 10 PM. So we had a rerun going before me. So that's how new we are to the game. Yeah. It seems yeah. like, like, it's got to be different to be on the ground floor of like the, the plank holder at the beginning of a network really in terms yeah. of its, its power, because like, think about Fox, like there's a crew of guys at Fox who were there at the very beginning and many of whom are still yeah. there. I mean, you've got like, you know, Fox and friends guys like, you know, Brian and Steve from, from the very beginning, Hannity, you know, Hannity. Hannity, of course, from the very beginning, Neil Cavuto yep. from the very beginning. Yeah. And so you've got these people who really they've gone to distance and their relationship with the network's got to be very different than the, a lot of the people who came much later uh, and I imagine that you're probably looking around and going, okay, this is cool. I'm on the ground level of something that's on an upward trajectory yeah. and I'd like to be here for a while. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, um, it, it's, 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 it is very cool. I mean, I, I wasn't on the ground floor. I came in after they had already gotten their, their feet planted a bit, but I'm definitely, you know, I mean, there, there's people that have been there for five years. John Bachman was like one of the first people they hired. I think there's probably like five or 10 people in the, in the broadcast division. Obviously we've got, we've got yeah. supplements and we've got a magazine. We've got all these other ways of making money, but in the broadcast division, I remember at Fox, I was the last person that Roger Ailes hired at Fox. Uh, I came in, you know, I was hired. And then about six weeks later I started in between my hiring and my first day, they fired Roger Ailes. And then I came in and I'm trying Bill shine was the other guy that hired me. Bill shine was like the number two over there. And then about, you know, it, when I came in on my first day, um, Bill Shine was under the gun and they thought, and he was fighting for his job. And they told me my first week at Fox, the whole first week, every single day, they told me to just, I came in at 9 a.m. to meet up with the big management people. And they just said, um, just, you know, go home and come back tomorrow. We'll figure it out tomorrow. The whole first week I just sat on my couch. That was a crazy so it was like, time. That was the that chaos was, at Fox. I, mean, I was yeah, at the, was I was crazy. at the Republican convention yeah. uh, and we were around everybody at Fox and boy, that was like one of the cagiest times ever. It was just like, what the hell is going on? Like people, people were kind of on lockdown inside the uh, the Fox News impromptu green room that they had there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, it, it was it, a wild, very interesting time. It is, it is really interesting to watch to watch Newsmax grow. And shout out to John Bachman, who who I, is another guy I like. But you know, I think yeah. there's a reputation at you know at large about Newsmax that they are uh, an extreme far right network. And I think of you, people like you and Bachman, um, and maybe a few others, e even even Spicer. Um, and again, you you guys are the people that I know probably best, other than some of the reporters like Kilmany and a few others. Like, yeah. I think of you all as pretty moderate, you know, moderate yeah. conservatives. Um, 
Do you think that that the reputation of Newsmax is earned, or do you think that it is a little unfair and there is ideological diversity there? Because I, I don't know if you have any, you know, any yeah. liberals there or anything like that. But do you do you think that it's a oh, little yeah. unfair to think of you as being far right? We we've got we've got liberals. We've got liberals behind the scenes. We've got liberals on camera. I'm not going to name names. I'll never do that. Um, I would say that it's. It's it's not a deserve. I don't I don't think you can take one phrase like oh we're far right or oh, we're moderate and you can't fit it on the whole company. We have an array of talent all through. I mean you can if you look at it show by show by show you will see different. I am not nearly as far to the right as some of my co-hosts, but it just depends on the issues, right? There's some issues uh, that I am as right as you can be on, and then there's some issues that I'm not, and I'm not going to get into which ones are which. But if you watch my show enough, you're going to figure it out. Um, we have, I mean, we just hired Greta Van Susteren. Greta Van Susteren is a big time independent. I mean, her, her politics right. are very nuanced. I mean, you're going to hear things, she'll say things. Uh, and some nights, you know, you're going to find Greta probably agrees with a lot of people on MSNBC. Other nights, he's going to be right there with Tucker Carlson. You know, everybody has, it, there's, there's no, it's you know, the problem with, you know, a two party system is that we all just get stamped and labeled and put into one side right. or the other. And then just like with Newsmax, it's like, you can't, you can't do that to a network. You can't, I mean, look at, look at Fox, for example, you've got Cavuto and you've got Hannity and they're what, five hours apart. I yeah. mean, how different are their politics? Their, their politics are completely different. And then you've got other people that are even more liberal than Cavuto on during the day at different times. So you, you really can't, you can't brand something like that. And of course people are going to do it. But, well, you know, there's also the problem of okay. like critics, like, like bipartisan critics won't even watch or consume or read yes. the content that they're criticizing. And then they'll, then they'll caricature it. Then they'll, they'll be like, well, that's what they believe in. And they'll just like literally invent something without actually knowing what the content is. Uh, and I can say that with, exactly. with some uh, authenticity, given that we are at the daily caller, I, I can't tell you the number of times I've been like, oh, like you see some ridiculous attack. And I'm like, you have no idea what we're doing here. You have no idea that Jason Nichols and I have the conversation we have on a weekly basis. Right. You're not paying any attention. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that happens all the time. And, and then the other thing that take, they'll take one person's statement from a show on your network and they will just lay it over the entire network. Oh, that yeah. must be the entire network position, which is, you know, I mean, it's not even close to true in any case. Exactly. Yeah, right. no, I, I absolutely uh, agree with that. Now I want to, I wanted to ask you um, really quickly about, yeah. um, you know, what we saw in Georgia last night. Um, we saw Brad Raffensperger and, of course, uh, Brian Kemp win basically yep. by landslide. And, uh, you know, former President Trump went out and really uh, spent a lot of time in Georgia, you know, trying to uh, make sure that, you know, he could get his people in there. I think, you know, you, you can kind of put Herschel Walker in a different category, but you know, with Purdue losing so resoundingly, and then uh, Raffensperger also beating uh, Jody Heiss, uh, what do you think yep. that says about the Republican Party and about President Trump's grip on it? And do you, or do you think that um, maybe this is just Georgia and, and, you know, other states are different? Or do you think that maybe Republicans are thinking more independent of President Trump uh, in 2022? I think what I think what you're seeing is that I mean obviously what Trump says goes a long way and is always going to go a long way in that party that's never going to change. Um, I think with Georgia it was 
trickier because in, in Georgia, you have this governor that was very popular with the people that did a lot of things that the people really loved. I mean, he is at his core. He's a very conservative. You know, I mean, he did a lot of things that, that Georgia Republicans are a big fan of. I mean, they do like Brian Kemp. Rappensberger was the one that surprised me more. Um, I do think they tried to kind of do a mea culpa with a Georgia voting bill. Um, you know, that I, I think it pissed off MLB and that's, I'm trying to remember which, which controversy was which, but, you know, they, they kind of came back around and tried to fix, you know, the things that I think angered a lot of Republicans that they saw and they, and they got this bill, which of course they called Jim Crow and everything like that, which is ridiculous. You've seen voter turnout just explode uh, in this election uh, in Georgia, just basically common sense election stuff, the same kind of things the Europeans do with voting. You need to have an ID, any sophisticated country, you got to have an ID, you got to show who you are, you need, you just need to, we need to know who's voting in election stuff along with that. Um, I think the Kemp thing was, I, I think it was maybe that I, it's, it's, it's hard to figure, but Kemp resoundingly won that election. I mean, it was not even close. I do think Purdue, from what I've heard, and I can't verify this you know, myself, but from what I've heard, Purdue is not a hard fighter. He's not, he, he's not a guy that's, he's not a strong campaigner. He doesn't do the work. He doesn't get on the ground. He doesn't want to talk to the people. He doesn't know how to raise money. He just might have been the wrong guy for it. I mean, he obviously he lost his Senate seat uh, to a, a fairly far left guy in the state of Georgia. So he, he wasn't he wasn't coming off. You know, I, I think in his eyes, somebody said, I think Kristen Tate said last night on my show that in, in the eyes of Georgia voters, they look at him right now as a loser because he just lost that seat. You know, so it's like maybe he wasn't the right guy to put up against Kemp. Maybe they needed somebody stronger. So I think, yeah, but I do think when you see a number like I think 73 percent is what Kemp got. I don't think it would have mattered who they threw up. I mean, it would have had to have been the perfect candidate to take him down. I think Kemp is very popular for a number of other reasons. I think Republicans think that he screwed up on the election, that they went soft on the election, that they let Democrats push them around. They let these, the, you know, the, the Zuckerberg boxes and all these other things happen. And, um, and that bothered Republicans, but I think they gave him a pass on that because he's done other things right. Raffensperger is the one that surprised me the most. I thought he was toast. I thought Heist was going to slide in and pull that one off. And that one, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly still trying to figure out just like you. But it's, it's funny because you look at other states and Trump puts the stamp on it and it's done. You know, um, I do think that Trump still has a struggle with the suburban Republican vote, the moderate Republican vote. Um, I think the best thing personally that that's happened is that he's been off of Twitter for a while because I think the Twitter and I mean, you, you talk to the people that are closest to Donald Trump and they'll say that the Twitter is obviously the is the Achilles heel. Right. I mean, it's like people, you know, it's it's too it's overexposure. It's too much. Um, but I, I I think that. The, the, the way to win back for him, for him to make the run again is going to be, you know, tempering down a little bit of the noise, which I do. I will say, I think a lot of the noise on Donald Trump comes from the press. I think every single day the press tries to make everything that he does into a huge controversy, which creates all the noise that drove everybody nuts for four years. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think him himself, you know, he says stuff and, and you know, but I, I don't think that it doesn't have to be taken to a 10 every day. And that's the media. The media says, oh my God, he said this, oh, he said this. And now I think we're living in a country where people are saying, oh, wow, you know, for four years, we had a controversy every day that was basically created uh, by a very anxious press. Now we have a president that's giving us actually actual problems. I mean, we've got a whole hell of a lot of problems and we're creating new ones, it seems like every single day. And I think a lot of Americans are saying, wow, you know, the real problems are much different than media manufactured problems. I, I think the way to think about Trump, one of the one of the ways is to talk about the media, of course, and the way the media really desperately wants him to be a cult leader. They want they want to create this caricature that anything he does, right. that he's got all these loyal supporters who will only do whatever he wants. 
And I think the, the, the race right now to look at that's instructive on this question is in Pennsylvania, where they still have not come out with a primary winner in that Republican Senate race. You know, Trump endorses Dr. Oz, Oz and, and, and you get McCormick and Barnett. And it turns out like among these guys, all of the people who still support Trump or, or certainly did in the past, they've split up their vote. They, they've liked people for different reasons. They find some ideological yep. coherence with a different candidate. So yes, I think the Trump endorsement, Trump himself does play a role. It helps to influence people. I'm sure Oz benefited from that. And the reason this race is even neck and neck is because of that support. But yeah. at the same time, I think the media makes a mistake when they make assumptions about Trump supporters that just aren't true, that there are voters so out there who are quite literally like assessing the ideologies and the extent to which they think these candidates will improve their lives. So I, I think there's a couple of things we, we need to point out. Just um, just to what Rob said, like about the Georgia law, number one, I think people's big uh, problem with that was that it makes it easier to overturn elections. That was the issue, the, you know, the water thing and all that, that's what the press started to put out there. But I think people who really looked at the law were like, it makes it easier to overturn elections, which, you know, is anti-democratic. But I will say this about Pennsylvania. I think the problem is Trump started to endorse kind of untrumpy candidates. So Dr. Oz is seen as corporate. He's not yeah. like he's a suit and tie kind of guy. And that's why I think even if he pulls this out, he's going to really struggle. Him and McCormick are going to struggle against John Fetterman, who seems like a man of the people. That whole you know, hoodie and the and the gym shorts. And he goes out into these working class communities. And by the way, the truth is that Fetterman is, is an upper middle class guy, always has been through most of his life. Mm -hmm. um, his father, I think, owned an insurance company or something like that. Like, and he owned, he ran the business for a while, but he comes across that way. Whereas a lot of people are like, I don't trust Dr. Oz. He doesn't right. seem like a Pennsylvanian. He's somebody who's yeah. a suit and tie kind of guy. And I think, uh, you know, with Trump, who, who loves television, number one, we know, and, and Trump is actually, even though people saw him as kind of the man of the people, I think they're starting to see that, whereas it's different with J.D. Vance in, in, in Ohio. J.D. Vance comes across like a real authentic working class, you know, Ohioan, you know, doesn't matter that he's he's a Yale educated lawyer and an upper middle class guy who investment uh, banker. He comes across we, as he, concerned yeah. about the working class. Yeah, I think he comes across as authentically working class too. Like he, he comes across like I am I'm a man of this soil. You know what I mean? I, I'm the hillbilly elegy guy. And I think Dr. Yeah. Oz doesn't have that. Dr. Oz doctor is in his title. You know what I mean? I think it's it's a different kind of thing. And he's. Mm. And I think that uh, I'd say, go ahead, you know, Jason. I know I, I, I know what you're saying. I, I see exactly where you're going. I think with Oz, um, it was more. I think Trump in that situation wants to pick winners, right? I mean, and he's looking at it in a general election. And I don't know. I think that he thinks that that star power of Oz. I know he likes celebrity. He's obviously done a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh, I think maybe he just thought that that name recognition uh, would carry in Pennsylvania. And I don't know that it wouldn't. Um, I'm not sure. I, I see exactly what you mean as far as Oz, you know, he feels very, he's obviously very, very rich. He's been on television forever. Um, he, he's got all these things that don't connect the middle-class voters and working-class voters. Um, but it is, I mean, it's, it's what I want to know is if you look at that race, 
if Trump didn't make a decision. And then you had obviously Barnett exploded when you know Newsmax actually had their big debate and they had that debate. And right out of the gate, Barnett comes up, you know, I mean, I think she was the first one to talk. Um, yeah. And she just tells this story about how she was, you know, I mean, it was right when all the pro-life stuff that, that, that leaked from the Supreme Court had just popped up. And here comes this, you know, black female Republican out that just says, you know, listen, I was I, I would have been an abortion, but it didn't you know, it didn't happen. You know, and it's like, you know, I, my mom wanted, you know, I, I, my mom wanted to get rid of me. She kept me, I think, was something along those storylines. But she mm -hmm. was like, and, and she says, I'm here now. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a couple steps away from becoming a United States senator. That was a wild story. I mean, that's just a wild thing yeah. to hear. I don't care what yeah. your position on yeah. abortion and, and, is. And, you know, I've met you know. Kathy Barnett and spoken yeah. to her a couple times. Um, you know, I met her over at Fox <clears throat> years ago. Yeah. And I mean, she's a fiery person. And I think one of the things that I wrote that upset a lot of people, I wrote this in, in um, Newsweek, um, I think last week, um, or yeah, I guess it was last week. And, and one of the things that I wrote was, you know, people try to make it this cut and dry thing about Trump voters that they're racist. And there's definitely a racist and, you know, nativist element in Trumpism. That's undeniable. But it's far more complicated than that because Kathy Barnett, again, goes out into these areas in rural Pennsylvania. And if you understand Pennsylvania, there's Philadelphia and then it's Alabama. You know what I mean? You know, it is literally there's Philadelphia, the Philadelphia suburbs, and then even right. Pittsburgh. I always say Pittsburgh is just the biggest city in West Virginia. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's a total different kind of mentality you know yeah. and I, I spend a lot of time in that corridor you know in western maryland west virginia and you know like waynesboro pennsylvania and all that and and but those people are willing they are much more based on their ideology and what they think is right you know and that's why i think they can be reached if democrats actually made the investment in those areas is that it's not quite as simple as Trump is our leader. Trump is our leader. Trump is our, our cult leader. We go with whatever Trump says. Um, yep. Or we, we only want white guys, you know, white male candidates or white women who go with what we want. You can get someone like a Kathy Barnett who goes out into those areas. You know what I mean? And people will listen to what it is she has to say. Um, I think that they're, that Democrats have, I think Obama was a, for Democrats was, a gift and a curse. Obama was like literally straight out of central casting as a as a like a candidate. I mean, he was handsome. He was, you know, he was black and he was multiracial and he was, you know, like it was all these things that, you know, we on the left, you know, thought was, you know, just amazing. He was Harvard educated. Um, but he was accursed because he was able to win with this new map. And other candidates don't have the strength. Obama was a once in a lifetime candidate. Other, other Democrats don't have the strength to win with that map generally. Um, and so Democrats haven't invested in some of these other areas and tried to reach some of those other people that I think are actually persuadable and reachable. And people wonder why, why do you, I get all the time, why do you go on Fox? Why are you with the Daily Caller? Why do you go on Newsmax? 
you know, and sometimes it's worse with Newsmax because they're like, Newsmax is really far. They're to the right of, of <laughs> you know, they're to the right of Fox. Um, either way, you know, I, I get a lot of heat from that. And I, I will maintain that some of these people are persuadable. Like, you know, you present them yep. with a different, and I get the emails. Of course, I get the racist emails and other things, but I get the emails from people like, you gave me something to think about. Thank you. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's cool. Um, so I think that it's, cool. it, you know, we need to have these conversations that Vince and I have and that you and I have had on your show. You know, this time I'll, you know, next time I'll try not to like break out into a flop sweat and like pass out afterward. <laughs> you know? These are the these are the most important conversations to have. I mean, if we can't, if we can't, if we can't talk to each other, if we just keep dividing, if we have two parties that are both running in opposite directions, uh, we're toast. We are toast uh, as, a, as a country. I mean, we, can, we can't just be breaking out into fistfights over politics. Uh, it can't be like that. We need to be able to be. And a lot of that damage was done during Trump when, every, when you know, I think the media basically said, oh, yeah, everybody that likes Donald Trump and believes in Donald Trump is the worst person you've ever seen in your life. And you just got this polarization that has now existed for six, seven years. Uh, and it's very bad. And we have yeah. to, it has to stop. And it stops with people like you guys having this show. It stops when you have people, you know, I, I mean, we, we show all the time people like Bill Maher that just have these moments where they're like, no, you know, I'm not going to go along with what everybody says. I'm not going to just stay, yeah. you know, dedicated left on every single issue party over any kind of common sense. It, there needs to be people that break on both sides. There need to be Republicans that say sometimes, you know what, this is BS. You know, the, 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 they're right on this one. There needs to be people on the left that say, you know what, this is BS. They're yeah. right on this one. We got to start bringing it back together. Yeah, what's the fun in just using somebody else's talking points? You have a brain. Use the yeah, rest of it. Right, it's worth right. it. Uh, exactly. Rob Schmidt, man, it is great to talk to you. Thank you for spending so much time with us. Really appreciate that, sir. I, I loved it, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. That's yeah, right. Try not to try not to freeze in the East River next time you go swimming. We, <laughs> yeah, I ain't swimming in the East River. But if you jump in, I'll jump in. Maybe we'll do that next time. There you yeah, go. I, I'll, uh, you can really experience life then. Yeah, I'll, I'll pass on that. But definitely, Rob, thank you for coming on the show. We've been wanting to have you for a long time, and we really appreciate it. it. Best of luck with whatever time slot they put you up on as a winner. <laughs> Uh, and we'll definitely be tuning in to Rob Schmidt tonight. You guys should tune in right now uh, to Rob Schmidt tonight. And also like and subscribe to what it is we're doing here by expanding the conversation left and right, uh, issue by issue. We're going to keep going through it here on Vincent Jason Save the Nation. Peace.